Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, the latest on inflation, the president's recent announcement on trade policy, and how the war in Ukraine is impacting the global economy. Joining us to discuss all of this is AAF's Douglas Holtzegan. Doug, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Kyle. How have you been? Great. Thank you, Blaine. Despite the bad weather outside, it seems like it's going to be a good week. Yeah, it's it's hot, it's muggy, and then it pours. So I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Classic DC. All right, let's jump right into things. Start with the state of the economy. There's been growing fears about the likelihood of a U.S. recession. Doug, are we facing a recession in the near future? Um, and how do you see the economic conditions over the next few years? I think the chatter about an imminent recession is overblown, to be honest. Um, uh, it is the case that the Federal Reserve has you know, launched a, an effort uh, to raise uh, interest rates, tighten financial conditions, slow the growth in the economy in, in an effort to combat inflation. That's all true. Uh, it's also true that historically, the Fed has a less than perfect track record in trying to do this uh, without causing recession. And yes, in testimony yesterday, the, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, admitted as much, said recession is a possibility. You have to acknowledge that. They don't want to do that. They're trying to avoid it. But I, all of that is really a, a comment about 2023. It's not a comment about 2022. And so I, this sort of notion that and we have an imminent recession is completely at odds with the, the reality that the Fed is trying to slow the economy because it's growing too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make, you can't make uh, those uh, exist simultaneously. So, so here's my tip. My tip is every Thursday morning at 8.30, we release new claims for unemployment insurance. So that's the a weekly read on what's going on in the labor market. Uh, new claims for UI dropped by 2,000 this week. That's not a recession, okay? And, and that's one of the best single indicators of the state of the labor market and thus the, the outlook for the economy, that says we still have a very tight labor market and, and we, we really still don't have to worry about a recession. Let's turn to the pain at the pump. Uh, President Biden backed um, the idea of a three-month federal gas tax, um, a federal gas tax holiday, I guess is what it's called, um, to help some of the pressure on consumers. As you know, this certainly isn't a new idea, um, but is it a good one? Uh, it, it's it's politics over substance. There's no question about it. Um, for those listeners who are not aware, I was uh, the director of domestic and economic policy on the John McCain presidential campaign, and uh, John proposed a, a federal gas tax holiday in 2008. Uh, I opposed it internally because it wouldn't do anything, and this won't do anything. Um, but nevertheless, I had to defend it in public, and that was a painful experience. I have lots of PTSD from that episode. And I'm sure that the, the the economics minds in the White House and Treasury are are not anxious about having to defend this in public. Uh, the, the reality is that if you have high prices for something, you need more supply or less demand or both. And if you cut the gas tax temporarily for three months, you don't do anything for supply and you raise demand. So it can only backfire. And so this is not something that substantively is going to change the outlook for prices at the pump or inflation in general. And it's something that I, I think is all the White House, the president literally himself trying to show we're, do, we're trying to do something. And and I don't see Congress passing this. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems more of a political move. I mean, I read, I think, this morning in The Wall Street Journal that, that you know, states have tried this to little effect. 
Um, most of the money will probably be pocketed by by the companies themselves. So it doesn't really seem to have really any help in lowering gas prices. It, there's all sorts of incoherency here, uh, especially on, on in the administration. Um, so they have been railing at the oil industry collectively, big oil refiners, you know, pe- pe- people in gas stations as, for being greedy and exploitive and all that stuff. And then we got, you know, suppose gas is, you know, uh, five bucks and, and you get rid of an 18 cent tax. So now it's, it's you know, all the way down to 472, 482. <laughs> um, you know, uh, they've already proven they'll pay, they'll pay five bucks. If they're as greedy as they claim, they're going to raise the price back up to five and just collect the, the, the extra 18 cents for themselves. So the, there isn't uh, a configuration of the universe that supports their claims about the industry and the idea that this is a good idea. Hmm. Um, let's turn to trade policy. By executive action on June 6th, President Biden authorized the Defense Production Act subsidies for clean energy sectors um, and delayed tariffs on solar modules. What's going on here and what will the impact be? Uh, well, this is a tale in cascading uh, policy mistakes. Uh, you know, recall that the president came into office saying that climate change was the top priority and then announced that the strategy would be essentially a sectoral one. And in the energy sector, what they really decided to do was to simply uh, not use coal, oil, natural gas, fossil fuels, um, and to do so as quickly as possible. Uh, that meant a huge reliance on wind and solar that's probably numerically unrealistic. You just can't get there. And is also immediately at odds with their policy toward China, which is the largest producer of solar panels at the moment. And so we have tariffs on solar panels, but that makes solar power more expensive. And that some of these tariffs will threaten to be sort of retroactively imposed on past purchases. And so the, the sort of U.S. solar power industry just shut down in the face of this uncertainty on trade. And, and then the administration started hearing threats of a, a blackout uh, in the summer that because there's not enough base load power, that's because the, they're not building any more stuff that uses natural gas. And, and so the, all of this is a self-inflicted wound. And so the president, in the latest really stretch of his authorities, did a couple of things. He said, number one, there will be no tariffs, no matter what we find in terms of dumping of solar panels or, or, or poor trade practices, there'll be no tariffs for two years. So that that's not going to happen. Number two, I'm declaring a national electricity emergency and using my powers uh, under the Defense Production Act to, to reach into the solar panel industry and start making components and panels um, as a matter of federal uh, priority, um, all in a desperate attempt to get more uh, power online and avoid problems this summer. You know, the reality is that if you look at the literature on the economics of climate change, there there isn't a sensible strategy that doesn't rely on natural gas as the bridge fuel to get to a, a, a world where you could have emission-free fuels. And in those scenarios, there's always oil around for a long time. And you still hit the, the, the climate targets and the emissions targets. So it was taking that off the table. You know, sort of right at the outset too quickly and by fiat that it was the mistake. And and now they're just, you know, this intervention will lead to other unintended consequences. And you just wait, you know, there'll be more. You also wrote about the administration's recent decision on TRIPS waivers. 
um, and I think Adesh earlier this week. What what are these waivers and what what are your thoughts on this decision? The TRIPS is an agreement uh, among the WTO countries to um, enforce intellectual property protections and trade traded products. And so that's the the acronym is TRIPS. It's about trade related intellectual property. And the TRIPS waiver was to waive to some extent the protections on the COVID-19 vaccines so that they could be manufactured by others elsewhere. Um, and 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 this is um, important in for two reasons. Number one, it, it is a the U.S. siding on behalf of lowering intellectual property protections on things like advanced medical therapies. They've set a precedent here that I think is undesirable. Right? We've had lots and lots and lots of attempts to try to get the Chinese in particular to not steal products and respect intellectual property, and to go the other direction seems to me a strategic error. That, but it's it's especially frustrating because it won't solve any problem. Right now, there's a global glut of vaccines. People don't want to put uh, vaccines in their arms. Uh, the manufacturer of, of vaccines was never really the, the issue, sort of having the patent protection uh, get get rid of that. The issue is scaling it. It's hard to get to the volumes, and and that has nothing to do with the the, the IP protection. So that it's aimed at the wrong problem. And a bigger issue in, in the developing world is actually the distribution systems, you know, the infrastructure to get it out and get it, uh, the public health mission completed. So, um, you know, a policy aimed at the wrong problem that sets a precedent that's not particularly desirable. How big is it in and of itself? Uh, hard to say. Do you like to see something that doesn't accomplish anything and gives up a protection? No. So for me, it's, it's a little bit troubling. On one final trade note, uh, the United States still imposes, you know, significant tariffs on products we import from China. Uh, mostly left over from the Trump administration. It seems like removing these tariffs would be an easy way to lower prices um, for American consumers. What what do you, what do you make of the Biden administration's decision to leave these tariffs in place? I'm baffled. I, I really am. It, they're not a solution to the inflation problem. You know, we get rid of the tariffs. You have a one-time reduction in the price level. Uh, that's not the same thing as a, you know stopping a sustained rise. But it's it's some good news it, and. It's it's a, a lever they can pull. Uh, this administration has, through its internal processes, uh, determined that the the Trump strategy didn't work. So the 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 purpose of these tariffs was to get China to the table, negotiate something. It hasn't worked. So why keep them? Right? You could get some relief at, for consumers. You already acknowledge that the policy underneath them is a failure. So I'm I'm very confused by this. I, I think. Given the political pressure they're under, they should do this and do it yesterday. Yeah, it seems like it would be a very easy decision just to to move on from them, from those tariffs. Um, finally, uh, it's been several months since Russia invaded Ukraine, um, and the United States and many other Western countries responded um, with economic sanctions on Russia. To what extent have these sanctions been effective? I think the sad news is not very effective at all. I mean, in the end. The goal was to cut off the flow of revenue from the sale of oil in particular uh, and natural gas into Europe. Um, and that revenue is viewed as what you use to finance the, the Russian army and the, and the war effort in Ukraine. Uh, latest numbers are that really hasn't hurt their oil revenues in particular because they're selling to China and India and, and others who did not sign on to the sanctions. And, and, and it's a global market. So you don't put it in one place and you put it in another, the net effect is the same. So 
it's 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 frustrating because that was meant to be the primary pressure on Russia and and the ticking time bomb. The longer they went at this, the more costly it would be at home. The there would be an inability to finance their efforts, and that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Hmm. The war in Ukraine has also uh, led to fears of a global food shortage. Um, what has the impact been, and will it grow worse as the war drags on? This is a big deal. I mean, as we've discussed in the past, you know, Ukraine and Russia are far more important in world wheat, for example, uh, than they are in oil markets. And, uh, you know, the Ukraine uh, wheat is, is not getting out of the country. It's just sitting in storage. Uh, we've seen increasing global prices. We're hearing anecdotal stories about things like restaurants in Germany unable to get wheat. And um, the primary customers for, for that, uh, that, those Ukrainian uh, products the, are in uh, Africa in the Middle East. And, and I think experts in this area are deeply concerned about the outlook for a food shortage as we go forward. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it just the, the, uh, the accumulating costs of this uh, invasion by Russia. Everywhere you look, you see the, the fallout and, and the damage that it's doing. Interesting. Doug, thanks for joining us to break down all of this, um, all these issues and, and talk us through all of that. Well, happy to do it and um, be well. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.